0: Slade Wolf Enterprises presents Mrs. Oscar Wilde A lengthened version of the one-woman stage play Episode 1 Miss Constance Lloyd Dear Otho Miss Constance Lloyd presents her compliments to Mr. Otho Lloyd and begs to inform him that he has a sister still living. (laughs) I wanted to write to you with the address that you shall need to send your next letter to me at. I had hoped to have an answer for you by now, but I fear I am still as ignorant as you. While I write these words at Mamma's desk, however, I am of the opinion... "'that it shall be the last time that I shall use it, "'given the upcoming nuptials, or nearly very much. "'It now looks very like, rather than staying with Mama "'once she has married Mr Swinburne King, "'your sister shall either be living with her Aunt Mary "'in Norwood in South London, "'or otherwise I am likely to be going to live "'with Grandpa and Aunt Emily in Lancaster Gate, "'the latter being the more likely of the two just now "'as far as anyone can tell. "'This is all dependent, however, on the marriage actually taking place. You see, everything nearly came to a smash quite recently between Mama and Mr. S.K., with Mama even declaring at one moment that if things continue in this fashion, then there shall be no wedding at all. So, there was no good in my writing till I knew how it was all going to end. I think it is all right. But I do think Mamma should have more trust in a man she's going to marry. Mr S. K. is charming, really, and devoted to Mamma, if only she would see it. Date now set for the nineteenth of October, and I don't doubt Mamma shall want me out of the way before they return from their honeymoon. One way or another, it seems, my time in this house is coming to an end. Ah well. At least if I go then all of my ugly dresses of which you complain so much will be far easier to take than if everything I wore had a bodice with hoops and cages. To answer your question before it is put to me, I fear my taste for the Pre-Raphaelite form of dress, or, to which it is now better referred, the aesthetic style of dress, has in no way waned. While other women may be content to be contorted and yet look admirable in their daily attire, I myself and a good number of my friends have decided we are far rather contented at the idea of both being comfortable and able to breathe. I do have my suspicions that, in fact, Mama is quite changeable with me just now, as ever she is, but particularly now, because she does not believe that I should be going to live with my relatives at all. I am all too aware Mamma, as she loves to remind me, was married when she was only a year older than I am now. And then she will invariably attach your following soon after, as if there were some deadline that it were necessary I adhere to, and she feels I am falling behind. I have therefore found it less than prudent to tell her, as yet, that contrary to her wishes, I do not believe any attachment of real substance and certainly no understanding will develop between myself and my good friend, Mr. Adrian Hope. Mr. Hope is decidedly nice, and very courteous towards myself indeed, but I have no polite way of telling either he or Mama that I do not feel any real disposition towards him, at least not beyond the bounds of regular decency and common friendship. Believe me... With the idea that such a turn of events might liberate me from my mother's guardianship early, I was all but enamoured of the idea at one moment. Yet then, we came to spending a little more time with one another. And while I do appreciate his friendship and his company very much, I fear there is nothing else there. I do believe that he holds a modicum of affection for me. But for my part— "'he does tower over one somewhat, "'and his ears are slightly larger than is really necessary. "'If I were to attempt to encapsulate my feelings for him, "'it would be to say this. "'I could very happily spend an entire day solely in his company. "'Yet, I could also spend an entire day essentially without him. "'While I am fond of him, "'I find him decidedly ordinary. "'I do not think such feelings indicate a great burgeoning romance in our near future, "'and I am sadly of the opinion he is not the man for me. "'I want to know if you got your ten pounds from Grandpapa, "'and if they have told you of the money arrangements. "'Grandpapa is going to make you quite independent of Mama, "'and should I go and live with them? "'He is going to give me an allowance of how much I know not yet.' "'He will not give mamma a farthing at which she is rabid. (sighs) "'Would God I were independent too. "'I would far rather work for my daily bread "'than have my mother make a compliment of me "'by keeping me in food and lodging. "'She says it is Grandpapa's duty "'to keep the children of his only son, "'and she says that his keeping you is no compliment as if he did. "'She is no longer bound to keep you, "'and you would have to leave Oxford and take a clerkship.' A nice lookout for the son of Horace Lloyd, and for me, with abilities like yours, too. I did receive your last letter from Oxford, as it happens. It was nice to read. A little rushed, perhaps. But then you must have much to be getting on with there, I don't doubt. I have been hearing that some fellows have a gay old jaunt when they go away to university, but I have assured all who will listen you will apply yourself, and your grand old time shall be poring over books. All the same— "'I do wish the next time you write, "'you dedicate a little less time to discussing the friends you have made, "'whom I now consider to know better than if I'd met them in person, "'and tell me a little more of your studies on the whole. "'I wish to know more of what it is to be a continuing student. "'I've heard such enviable stories. "'As you may suspect, terrible as I am at hiding it, "'though proud of you beyond measure,' My vanity has prompted in me not a little amount of jealousy, to which I readily admit. You see, it is my own hope, my own sincere wish, that one day young women such as myself shall also be able to elevate themselves in their education, will be able to walk the same halls that you now do and class themselves as close to equal in their knowledge, if nothing else. You may ask what the good of that might be, "'as nothing should be done with it. "'I say that is not necessarily the point, "'especially as there are occasions of students reading at university "'and then their lives are simply unreflective of their chosen subjects, "'or even that they attended university at all. "'I went to see Mr. Morgan yesterday. "'He said that I was very weak indeed, "'with scarcely any pulse that he could find. "'He asked me how long I had been this way, "'and I answered honestly, "'that I had... "'Better days and worse days here and there. "'Hence I had come, but I had been like it as long as I could remember. "'He has given me tonic pills, and, on the strict instruction, "'I must be regular about it, ordered me to lie down and sleep every day after lunch, "'all of which Mamma pooh-poohed and declared it was only indigestion. "'She asked me if it was her cruel treatment of me that made me weak. "'In... "'One of your previous letters, your allusion to things past, particularly the behaviour of Mama towards your sister. "'What can truly be said of it? "'Who could have thought how she would turn after Father died? "'We neither of us were to know. "'I do not think even Mama could have predicted. "'And perhaps she does not see it still, which is why it continues.' It is a little better than once it was, though I put that down as much to my preference at avoiding her, as much as I am able, without appearing too discourteous as it might be conceivably to any change in Mamma's disposition. I have not seen evidence of any. I tell myself that the things said—the coldness, the cruelty, the threat of fire-irons, and having one's head crushed against the wall— These are things that are soon to feel long in the past, and should not be burdens upon your good person for your inability to prevent them. Therefore, I beg we write no more of it. That which cannot be changed must be accepted. Apropos of the Honourable Lady about to be married, it is necessary we give her a present, and that present must be costly. It would seem that recently she has fixed her affections on a plain gold bracelet— "'I find the smallest to be seven pounds, seven and six. "'Mama, however, does not let a little thing such as "'where her children might find the funds for such an extravagant present concern her, "'even with one child barely having started their university "'and the other unmarried and still at home. "'Oh, me! "'When shall I marry me? "'You say I shall have a chance of marrying. "'I see none.' "'I have no beauty, no conversation, no small talk, "'even to make me admired or liked. "'Would that I were like anything of my friends "'and able to speak in front of others with ease and charm and wit and grace, "'but I i do not know how they manage it. "'It is more likely I should run at the hissing of a goose "'than I should ever find myself able to say boo to it. "'I do think I am the greatest donkey that ever lived.' I'm so afraid of people. I shall be an old maid. I am doomed to it. And you shall see your sister walking about with six cats and half a dozen dogs. Well, this is all my news for now. I hope you truly do not worry too much, as everything is all in hand here, and what shall happen to me is what shall happen to me. And I shall get you that address to write to next, as soon as I am aware of what it might be. Yours, as ever, Constance Mary Lloyd. Postscript I did so laugh at the story you related of your Oxford friend going to Greece, arriving back to Oxford a fortnight later than he originally intended, and so almost being sent down by the authorities. But, as to his name, a sudden thought occurred to me as I reread it. Would he happen to belong to the same family of Marion Square in Dublin? For if that was so, then there is a likelihood Grandpapa will know his people, or possibly socially at least. And I am quite sure I have heard the name Oscar Wilde before somewhere. My dearest Otho, I have been now with Grandpapa and Aunt Emily, living here at Lancaster Gate for some little time, and things are all quite well here. I cannot report too accurately on Mamma, save for what Mr. S. K. has written to say, for he is on the whole the more communicative of the two. But I am, in truth, as you may perceive, not writing to give report on myself and them, as much as I am to give reaction to your latest news. I am so... Terribly disappointed that you are being plucked. "'Perhaps the more so that Francis has passed his examination, "'and I think in all probability Charlie his. "'It cannot but force itself upon my mind, "'seeing Grandpapa's disappointment all unspoken, it is true, "'but scarcely for that the less that you have not worked, "'or that you have only worked indolently, "'as we are only both too inclined to do.' Do, dear boy, try to make up this future year and work steadily and try to attain the honours that I know with study you have the capability of attaining? Do not think I am lecturing you. You know that all my ambition, all my future hopes are bound up in you. And it is really a keen disappointment to me to find that you have none for yourself. And it is not only that but also that it is Grandpa's money that is being spent. And if you do not profit by your college career, it is wasted, is it not so? Is there any possible way by which I can help you? Remember that, ignorant as I am, I will do anything in my power, or learn anything by which I could afford you any possible assistance. I must impress upon you, Otho, that at present "'I have so little to look forward to. "'I at the very least would have showered you with the congratulations due you, "'had things gone better. "'I also believed that from under mamma's thumb you would naturally thrive. "'But then I cannot say that I have done as much either. "'All the same, the opportunity you have before you must be seized. "'Would that I could lend you my heart for even half a day.' to see how genuinely this affects me, though it may make little sense. Do you not see how very greatly my own life's ambitions feel tied up with yours? You, Otho, have been given all that one might need as an advantage to make a great start in life. Position, family background, wealth, gender, To write further on this would be to let you know too much of my own limitations and capabilities, which you no doubt will not fully understand, and that, with everything else, will surely bring me to tears. And I mean to send this letter as soon as possible, not have it drying before the fire where it might be come across by another, not wishing to humiliate either of us. I read this back over, and wonder if I have said too much, or even too little, Please, darling, consider this, if nothing else. A little toil is so very worth it in the end. Yours, in faith, Constance. My dearest Otho, I have been so horribly terrified and frightened that I cannot get over it. I write to you somewhat newly returned from Holland to England, and, of course, our holiday. I will save regaling you on that time for later. But just now, while no one else is about to look over my shoulder, I must unburden myself of what happened before we had even left the country, hopefully leaving memories of this decided awkwardness at best, and familial catastrophe at worst, far behind all of us. Not long after we had arrived at the coast, ready to board the ship the following day, "'we were joined, quite unexpectedly, by Uncle Charlie and Cousin Stanhope. "'A pleasant afternoon and early evening was passed among the five of us, "'and I do so delight in hearing them all speak. "'Their beautiful Irish accents are so different "'from anything one generally hears about London. "'And it is good, considering Mamma has very little to do with the Lloyds these days, "'to see her side of the family so courteous with everyone else. "'It was so very nice to see us all come together.' "'though it seemed all by pure coincidence. "'Otho, did it ever in your wildest dreams "'enter your head that Stanhope cared for me? "'I went out for a long walk with him and Uncle Charlie, "'and we two stayed behind to pick some berries. "'Finally, Stanhope turned to me "'and admitted that our fortune in crossing paths "'so unexpectedly was nothing of the sort.' that, in fact, this chance meeting had been arranged, and the whole family was aware of it—everyone, that is, except myself. He then went on in a fashion I would never have credited him with, speaking with a soft voice in a plaintive manner about how he had always been conflicted in regards to his feelings towards me. And then, he informed me, he had come to ask me to be his wife. I do hope no one again will ever propose to me, for it is horrid. He said he appreciated it, that it was not the most delicate of proposals, but that he had wished to speak to me in Dublin, and also in London when he was there, and he would have waited to test my feelings, but that our going away to-morrow had hurried it on. It was so dreadful! I could but refuse him, and he came again the next morning to get a final answer, and looked white as a sheet, and frightened me so, and yet I could not do anything else, could I?' He would insist that I cared for someone else, and I assured him I did not. I sent him away, and—I don't want to marry, I do hope nobody else will ever ask me. I am shaking all over still with the mere memory of it. However, even in the short time since our return to England, I seem somehow to have acquired the affections of another gentleman. His name is Mr. Fitzgerald deep sigh. He came and requested to escort me somewhere this week. He came last Monday and asked to escort me on Wednesday so I couldn't get off of it this time. It ended finally in his arranging to come to Devonshire Terrace tomorrow and take Mamma, Aunt Ella, Mr. S. K.'s daughter Tizzy and myself to the fancy fair at the Albert Hall. Poor man. I hope I shall meet someone I know and then I'll get rid of him. I left Zena and him to have a long conversation together, but he made his way over after a time, and I couldn't get rid of him the last time we were about. He was with me the whole afternoon, and to my horror, I positively loathe him now. Isn't it horrid? How strange it seems that only a year, or perhaps a little more before, I was worried I should never get married. I have no such fears now. I am far more prone to being afraid of it being orchestrated beyond all my control. "'so that I might simply wake up and find the whole thing done "'with very little say upon the matter. "'Naturally, I do not wish that at all. "'I am very aware that it is both probable and expected, "'that I shall eventually marry, likely in the next few years, "'and I have mixed sentiments towards this. "'I have no special objection to being married, "'excepting that I don't care for anyone.' and that I think I am rather afraid of marrying. I cannot explain it further. If your own prospects waver no further, then that shall give me a little freedom, but otherwise I have no doubt most of the rest of my life shall be planned and part of a scheme put together by those older than myself. I try not to think about it too much, for I have whims and wishes of my own, but that seems not to come into consideration, which I am upset about, to say the least. At the same time, I cannot say that I prefer the life I am leading at present. If I eventually do not marry, I will not live with Auntie all my life. I shall do something. I feel as though I am stagnating, and it wouldn't be so bad, however, if you were in London. And I am thinking of going in for an examination. I shan't work my head off for it, for I don't care much about the result. I just want something specific to do, to prevent my continually dreaming till I get perfectly morbid. (sighs) Tear up this letter. Constance. Dear Otho, If I could write with abandon, and without fear of my letters being read, I would doubtless tell you more than I shall write here. For example, if I weren't fearful that a certain aunt, let us say, might ask me innumerable questions of him, I might tell you the name of the gentleman who has been sending me presents of late. If the name were known, however, two things would become of the poor man. He would either be invited to dine, which is merely a cover for an intimate cross-examination, but with added tea, butter, and bread-rolls, or for at least a week, I should be under unofficiated house arrest, during which time every terrible marriage that has ever taken place in Christendom or living memory will be detailed to me. Therefore, I shall say an anonymous person has given me a book of poetry. I am too closely watched at present to be able to say whether this was a friendly gift Or if I intend to return the favour, or, perhaps, the gift. It is odd being watched by a flock of hawks whom appear as one's family, ready to fly out of the sky and scoop up prey. Their prey of choice is young, negotiable, eligible, preferable, wealthy, naturally, gentlemen, obligatory. OF GOOD REPUTATION AND FAMILY BACKGROUND. DOCUMENTARY PROOF REQUIRED. CERTAIN QUALITIES, SUCH AS GOOD LOOKS, GOOD HUMOR, AND AN AT LEAST MODEST INTELLECT, ARE deemed AS BOWS UPON A DRESS. HOW NICE IT MIGHT BE TO HAVE BOWS UPON ONE'S DRESS, BUT THEY ARE NOT NECESSARY, AND MUST NOT BE QUIBBLED OVER. AND IT IS BECOME INCREASINGLY IMPERATIVE I SIMPLY GET A DRESS AND HANG THE BOWS, They present me with fine dresses, but I am getting to see the flaws in the needlework sharper every time. They are invariably good men who would no doubt make a fine match on the whole, but whom I tolerate when they are in attendance and do not miss when they are absent. It is a pain that it seems my sex must bear, especially as you also are proving just as difficult to marry off and all eyes are on me as the more suppliant of the two of us. Isn't it despicable? I wonder what my own reputation is beyond Lancaster Gate. I have been making some charming friends recently. It is so rewarding when one is in company with others who are also artistic in temperament. I have felt able to acquaint myself with such friends since I left Mamma's house, though I am still cautious about certain people's judgments. Grandpapa was in the city quite recently, at the same time that Auntie was at Windsor, and so I took advantage of their absence, and rushed off in a hansom to the Grosvenor, and lunched there with my friend, Mr. Richard Belt. He is the man who made the monument to Lord Byron, the one with the libel case over the same. Don't believe a word of it. Now Mr. Belt is a fascinating man. Not what one would call conventional, but very artistic. Never says or does anything improper, as far as I am aware, and very stimulating company and conversationalist. Yet my friend Miss Emily A. has her eye upon him, I believe, so even were anything to blossom between us, it would be short-lived. Never mind it. "'I am quite happy sitting in the gallery at the Grosvenor, unchaperoned. "'I have met a number of new friends recently, simply by lunching there. "'I spent a lovely hour or so with two ladies whose work is exhibiting there just now, "'and we all took tea in the ladies' drawing-room. "'I find it quite good to occasionally have time solely in the company of women in public. "'Do not blush to read of such open friendships with no one to account for us.' We do not make as much of a nuisance of ourselves as they would have you believe, not unless it is a nuisance to speak of artistic works and recommend artists and poets to one another. Scandalous! We shall take over the government next, brother. I have not yet found which particular vein of the arts my talents, if, indeed, I have any, belong to, and I think I ought. You know my love for pottery and its decoration, currently thinking quite seriously about going into school for that. I mentioned this over dinner to Auntie the other day, rather to make conversation than for her opinion, but of course it was given. She has taken my artistic disposition for a different obsession, I fear, and she advised me, "'Be wary of being over-accomplished, Constance. While being talented and interesting, can attract a man to a good wife. Too much of the same can have the opposite effect, I fear." I tried earnestly to explain to her that my interest in ceramics and the arts is nothing whatsoever to do with finding a husband—that it was rather for personal gratification, or the development of one's own inherent nature, which I do believe to be intricately entwined. But I fear my words made more sense her pet marmoset. She does not understand me. And it grows increasingly evident to me that we are entirely dissimilar. I fear I cannot be moody with her, simply because she misunderstands me. She believes herself to be invested in my best interests. Will you be at the Devonshire Terrace Tea Party? I hope you will be. I am terrified to go alone, and have no one to talk to outside of the family that knows of my shyness. And Have you heard the story behind it? My somewhat sharp ears only just let me learn myself. Grandmama Atkinson is presently wringing her hands over that Aunt Ella is now nearing 29 and not a husband to be seen. The situation is beyond the pale and must be remedied immediately before wider society starts to talk, whatever that means. They say she's being match-made—poor thing—to a young man you'd probably know from your Oxford days. He's a poet, I believe—though if he's the same man I am thinking of—I've seen more of the derivatives of him in the papers than I have any of his work—but then I am ignorant to some things. I wonder if he's one of these dreadful Byronic characters one meets—supposedly alive only for true love and their art. Unaware that they possess no talent, tenuous charm, and an overabundance of parental encouragement. I shall stay the execution until I have met him. He is apparently an almost peculiar gentleman, but is celebrated for his honest opinion, and is meant by all accounts to be quite brilliant. If I ever married, I am quite decided it would have to be to someone brilliant. I couldn't bear the thought about stripping my husband in wit. Huh. How awful that would be. Yours, etc., etc., Constance. My dearest Otho. I am attempting to write and send this letter without anyone even knowing of its existence, so I am sure I need not make it too plain that what I write off here, while all is in the balance, must be disclosed to no one. The first lesser of the two great secrets that I must confide in you is that I am not, regardless of anyone's impression, engaged to Mr. Alec I admit to you, as I have admitted to no other member of our family, that, albeit briefly, I was. The whole affair is now called off, you may be able to infer. I could go into depth about it, but there is no real need, and besides, there is more than one reason. However, the reason that I am most interested in sharing with you will, no doubt, take up the majority of the rest of this letter. "'Many weeks ago now, you may recall I attended the tea party at Devonshire Terrace. "'It was a nice affair on the whole, though, as usual, I was quite happy for the light to shine on others. "'There were so many people there I did not know. "'However, soon after my arrival, I found myself sitting next to a tall gentleman "'who, upon learning my name, expressed interest in our Irish connection. "'He was also Irish,' he declared. "'He then complimented me on my dress.' that which you would have thought of as ugly, and from there we talked exhaustively of everything, all matters. We covered art and literature. We even discussed the female role in society, and I found his ideas refreshingly similar to my own. All the while we spoke, we admitted no other into our intimate circle of two, not by design, but because our conversation had taken a turn this way. However, many about us seemed to hover nearby, like bees about flowers and honey. I occasionally feared that we were perhaps giving a rude impression, speaking solely with each other in an air conspiratorial fashion, but in the next moment I would realise, in fact, I cared very little about what they thought. We spoke for hours together, and eventually, of course, it was time for this gentleman to leave. As soon as he stood... He told me he had enjoyed our conversation very much, and he expressed the hope that we should meet again soon to continue it. Trying to remain as demure as possible, I still admitted that indeed I felt very much the same. Grandmamma was sitting opposite me at this time, and as the gentleman made for the door, the whole party seemed to drain of sound, every eye upon him. No sooner had the door clicked shut at his back, than Grandmama leant slightly towards me and said, My dear, you don't know who that was, do you? I was sure the gentleman would not have failed to mention his name, but I could not recall it. I was certain that I had met him before, although he seemed oddly familiar to me. Grandmama smiled at me, and her eyes seemed to glimmer. That was Mr. Oscar Wilde. You've heard of him, I'm sure. And inexplicably, Arthur, the compliment it seemed he paid me by spending so much of his afternoon in my company, alone, felt so much weightier, yet my heart was suddenly ten times lighter in my chest. I knew at once that he must be your friend from Oxford you told me about, but I found it very difficult to join these two personages in my mind. Mr. Wilde is, after all, well, terribly well-known these days. You see, he gives lectures, and he writes. He writes very well, by all accounts, and everyone says how amusing his work is, and if it is not, then it is possessing of a great depth, the like of which some writers would not even dare attempt, and heaven knows why. But he spent the entire time at Devonshire Terrace talking with me. There is more there is more. On the 7th of June, Aunt Emily held an at-home, and who do you suppose she invited? Of course, he accepted, much to my chagrin, for now. I not only knew who he was, but that it was the original design he and my Aunt Ella should form an attachment. I shook with fright on his arrival, and remembering how we had met, I greeted him with, "'My Aunt Ella is not here, I fear to tell you, Mr. Wilde.' She'll be so disappointed to have missed you on this occasion. And do you know how he responded? In that case, Constance, I fear you shall have to be the greatest consolation prize that ever a man knew. (laughs) He called me by my name. He does everyone. He is very modern, but I can't help liking him. Here is the truth of it, Otho. "'We have met since. We have met many times since. We almost instantly met each other's mothers. Though Aunt Emily was quite scandalised about it, Mr. Wilde took me to the theatre to see Othello recently. Afterwards, he asked if I would be so good as to come backstage and meet a very dear friend of his. Imagine my shock when I was brought before none other than Ellen Terry herself!' Grandpapa, I think, likes Oscar, but of course the others laugh at him because they don't choose to see anything but that he wears long hair and looks aesthetic. I like him awfully much. I suppose it is in very bad taste. They do not take it so seriously just at present. I have never been looked at. "'never mind so much attended by anyone even remotely approaching Mr. Wilde's reputation, "'so I am at a loss as to what to do. "'Mr. Wilde tells me not to worry too much of it, though naturally I do. "'When he's talking to me alone, he's never a bit affected, and speaks naturally, "'excepting that he uses better language than most people. "'On occasion, though, as you may well remember of him, He does speak in such a way to deliberately befuddle those who cannot keep up with him. Why should I find that so comely in a man? Quite soon, Mr. Wilde is off to America on his lecture tour. He is to be gone three months. I have known three months of summer pass as if in a breath, and yet I am so worried how these next three months shall stretch and seem to go on forever when he is away. "'Oh, Otho, I am so dreadfully afraid. "'What if all of Mr. Wilde's attentions towards me just now "'are nothing but a mere dalliance with me on his part? "'For you must know his reputation as well as I do. "'For you have known him longer, "'and one need only look briefly into the history of Mr. Wilde "'to find why they are saying what they are saying of him. "'That he is... that he is, oh dear, must the words be written? That Mr. Wilde is a veritable lady's man, for after all, Florrie Balcombe, Violet Hunt, Lily Langtree, "'These ladies are so in the public eye "'that you can easily find five times more people "'who have heard of them in London "'than have not throughout the entire kingdom. "'Yet how am I to compete with these women "'who have been known to be in his affections? "'What is it that has made him turn his attentions, "'his affections, towards me? "'I am quite beside myself to know, "'as I am desperate to trust him, and yet dare not.' My fortunes cannot suddenly be so good, I tell myself. Please destroy this letter, for as you know, our family is not over-honourable in such matters as reading other people's letters. Yours, in faith, and considerably girlish humour, Constance. In episode 2, The Wild Problem, all is not smooth sailing for Constance as Mr. Wilde embarks on his American lecture tour, and three months away turns into a year. Constance eagerly awaits his return, and yet there are already secrets which threaten to undermine their relationship.